Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Thursday, April 21st, 2022. Hey, I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. Mike Tanier is here. Tom Gower is joining us as well uh, to talk about the NFL offseason. Uh, thank you to everybody who's tuning in. Don't forget to ask us your questions on Twitch and YouTube live. Hopefully, if you're listening afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, hello to you too. Uh, don't forget to rate the show and write a review and tell your friends about our show Thursdays during the off season, 1 p.m. Eastern, which is what it is now, which is why we're doing a show, and here we are. <laughs> and it's been a kind of slow couple weeks uh and the big stories all seem to be contract related. So we're going to kind of talk about whatever offseason news, you know, seems interesting to us. But we're starting with contracts and we'll start with quarterback contracts because Mike wrote about quarterback contracts today in walkthrough talking about um, the Deshaun Watson contract and what it meant to the quarterback market and Lamar Jackson, and Kyler Murray, both looking for extensions and Kyler Murray, you know, doing this thing now where everybody seems to take their team out of their Instagram bios and that sends a message. That's the like important way to send a message to your team that you want to reorganize and restructure contract as you take your name out of your Instagram and Twitter bio, take the team name out of the Instagram and Twitter bio. So Mike, tell us a little bit about how you feel like the Deshaun Watson contract wrecked the quarterback market. Well, in the past, and I'm thinking about contracts like, you know, uh, the Carson Wentz deal, the Jared Goff deal, some deals that didn't not work out like the Jared Allen deal. After three years, the quarterback is eligible for their long-term contract and Teams would go to them and say, let's do this negotiation now because we want to get ahead of the market. We don't want somebody to jump in front of us um, and make and make the market more expensive. Let's do it while you still have two years on your rookie deal, your, your cheap fourth year and then your big fifth year, assuming you were a first round pick. That, that's the way it was done in the past. Now, the big contract that the player, the quarterback is going to want is going to look like Deshaun Watson's contract. Now, that's five years, $230 million, fully guaranteed. No option years, bonus years at the end. No, you know, uh, bonuses that like stack. Like, oh, in 2024, we'll guarantee 2025. In 2025, we'll guarantee 2026. All that's off the table. With that size contract and that big a guarantee, all the incentive is gone. All the incentive is gone for the team to say, oh, you know what, Kyler Murray, we're going to come in a year early and we're going to take care of you right now. Or you know what, Lamar Jackson, this is your fifth-year option. Let's do this right now. Not all the incentive, but most of the incentive is gone. And what I think is about to happen is teams are going to play hardball. They're going to wait. And especially for a quarterback, and both of these guys are coming off injuries. Both of them are scramblers who run a lot, who run on purpose a lot, who have a risk of injury. Teams are going to start playing the salary tag, excuse me, the franchise tag daisy chain game like we saw with Kirk Cousins a couple of years ago. And what I think happened is Deshaun Watson changed the dynamics. When the, when Washington did that with Kirk Cousins, it was like, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's a, this is a goofy, expensive mistake. Now suddenly it's going to be like, well, it's not that much more expensive than just handing him $230 million guaranteed where we can't get out of it if he gets hurt, can't get out of it if he slumps, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, what's interesting is I don't know what it means for Kyler Murray to sit out of, like, workouts. 
Like sitting out of off-season workouts is whatever. I mean, we'll get to the wide receivers in a little bit, but a bunch of them are doing that. Like sitting out of these workouts in April, big whoop-de-whoop. But what 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 can Murray do as we get closer to the season when the real OTAs come after the draft? Like, can he sit those out when we get to regular training camp? Can he hold out? Is this or is it is he gonna basically gonna have to show up and play and and the Cardinals can play hardball? The way the new CBA is structured, you can't just sort of hold out and you get fined and then everyone waves the fine when you sign the contract and come in. It's stricter than that now. Well, the big example we saw with that was Aaron Rodgers last year. Aaron Rodgers did not hold out. The moment it was mandatory, he showed up. This is a guy who could conceivably financially, reputation-wise, blow off anything he wanted, and he showed up. That's kind of how draconian it is right now. So Kyler Murray could do that. He could not show up. And you're talking about a, a younger quarterback with a more fragile reputation, uh, trying to and you know less money in the bank, less money uh, available from you know State Farm, et cetera, trying to make that kind of deal. It seems highly unlikely. And I think in the short term, what you're going to see is Steve Kime and the Cardinals just saying, "Sure, take our names off your Insta. Sure, don't show up for voluntary OTAs. We'll see. We'll, we'll play chicken with you. We'll see what happens when the when it's mandatory when you're supposed to show up." Right. And you're not going to see, you might not see any movement. Uh, the first sort of real decision point is mandatory minicamp. And that's not yeah. until mid, mid-June. Right. I don't know exactly. I haven't checked exactly when Arizona's is. Uh, but if he skips that, that's the first sign of really being serious. And right. the drop dead date is, I forget the exact day, but like the sixth day of training camp. If you don't report by that day, if you're holding out after that day, uh, your co- uh, that season, your contract doesn't. Yeah basically doesn't progress for that season. Yes. So he'll definitely be there by then. So uh, I, with how aggressive he was early this off season, I wasn't sure if he was just looking for financial, for financial terms, or if there was something more serious with his usage, like we were seeing, like we may be seeing with Debo Samuel, but it's, it, at this point, it seems like it really is mostly just financial, and he's just trying to. And he and his agent Eric Burkhardt are just trying to really maximize what a, what small amount of leverage they have. Yeah, I don't think it's a usage thing. I think Lamar Jackson knows what kind of quarterback he is, and he's fine with that. Yeah. And I think Kyler Murray knows what kind of quarterback he is, and he's fine with that. And these guys will run less as they get older, probably. But for now, I think they're comfortable with what they are. I think it's just about money and long-term uh, uh, guarantees and, and uh, stability, long-term stability. And they want that contract. They want that big second contract. Not to mention the fact that these guys generally me- you know, measure each other against each other by their contract sizes. And you want to have one of the really big contracts. Right. Uh, Joey Suck says, you mentioned that the Goff and Wentz extensions smelled before the ink dried. <laughs> Is there a number that would be good for you for these guys, or is that just so unrealistic as to be an invalid premise? I, you're going to incur risk. You're going to. Incur I mean, risk. I don't think that the Goff and Wentz extensions necessarily smelled before the ink dried. I think what there was risk as to how good those guys could really be, and unfortunately, both guys, you ended up on the downside of the risk. Right. I mean, in both in Goff the upside for Goff was a question. And for Wentz, you already had the injury and he had, you know, the Super Bowl season happened and then that other season happened. So there, there were some risks there. I think you're going to accure risks. Okay. And if we were talking about Josh Allen money for Lamar Jackson, even with the accured risks, 
They're like, well, I think the Ravens would do that if it was structured in a way that makes sense with it. I would do that if I was Eric DaCosta, if it was structured in such a way as like I could pay some bills now and pay Lamar Jackson in, in 2023, 2024. Not necessarily. It's that $54 million in 2026. That's guaranteed, not as a number that you can guarantee in 2025 when you know the guy's still healthy or they're still with the program or all these other things. That's the number that I would look at and say, I have to be 100% satisfied if I'm making that. I would not give that to Deshaun Watson. You know, the, yeah. the, you know, Haslam did it, whatever. I would never do that. And I would just not do it for Jackson and Murray at this point. That's too many years down the line for a guy that I'm seeing coming off an injury season where – you know, I really the way he plays, the things that make him special could make him limited in value a couple of years down the road. I want to see Jackson do 2019 again. Yeah. I mean, we know he can be that good. But the fact is, the last two years, he's been 20th in passing DYAR and like fifth or sixth in rushing. Right. That's a good quarterback. Yeah. But that's not a great top of the line quarterback. And obviously, there are lots of reasons why that's been the case. His, you know, offensive line injuries and receiver problems and the receivers in Baltimore have never quite developed. And right. uh, I mean, Miles Boykin just getting cut this week. Yeah. You know, yeah. being a good example of that. But um, draft Twitter. Well, I'd like to see Jackson. I don't want to guess that he can do 2019 again. I want to see him do something like 2019 again before I'm giving him all this money. And with the fully guaranteed Watson contract, you're running into the NFL's funding rule where uh, it's antiquated now because the volume of the national media deals that they get, uh, NFL owners can all pay their their current cap charges out of that with no issues. But the NFL still has officially on the books the need to put actual money in escrow for yep. future guarantees. And that's when you run into run into a real issue between the owners like the Haslams who have billions and billions of, I don't know exactly how much he's worth, but he has a ton of money beyond uh, the yeah, value yeah. of his NFL franchise. And I don't know how much Steve Biscotti uh, still has beyond the Ravens, but you know, that's a serious financial commitment. I mean, uh, Aaron, you may remember when a couple uh, might've been like 2017 when Tom Brady signed an extension where he got a $30 million signing bonus. That was basically a restructure of gear uh, to reduce the guaranteed money for, uh, burden on uh, the Kraft family. So they could take money out of escrow, right? Yes. So they did not have to have that amount of money in escrow for years. And that was, and they just tacked on like a dummy year. So that, uh, so that's a real a limitation on the ability of some owners to make those kind of guarantees in that contract. So I don't think you'll see that you'll see the Watson deal spread as fast as other market resetting deals. Right. I know some of the talk is, okay, so if the Cardinals play hardball with Murray, does it affect how Murray plays? I feel like it doesn't really affect how Murray plays because if they play hardball with Murray, the best way for Murray to get paid is to play well. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's a team game where if the quarterback plays well, the team does well. Yes. So, you know, I don't think there's anything Arizona can do that would create like negative incentives for Kyler Murray. Like the best thing he can do to guarantee himself that somebody will pay him a big contract is to play well. Right. Right. And that's right. and that's why we find ourselves saying, oh, we're holding out of voluntary OTAs and we're doing stuff on Instagram and we're having our, our agent 
kind of like rattle his chains a little bit. That's your agent's job. Go out there and rattle the chains a little bit because that's the closest thing you have to leverage right now. When when it comes to the, the games, he's going to show up. He's going to play at a high level. And there's a real difference between trading either A, an older quarterback like Russell Wilson or Matt Ryan, right. or B, a quarterback with legal trouble. Yes. Right? The Watson situation is very much its own thing. Like yes. there's nothing else like it. I don't think any team wants to take a young quarterback like Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray and trade them for any reason. Right. You're admitting defeat from the standpoint of the organization. Like, like, Oh, this wasn't a bust. Wasn't a complete, we just couldn't make it work. Like, like we're, we're just not professional enough to get this going. That's not a direction that I think either team, any, any well-run team would be able to, would want to work. And that's, that's Washington commanders like reasoning. I do think, I do start to wonder with the quarterback money going up so much, if teams will be more aggressive about not committing to quarterbacks they view as closer to average and not as potentially top eight guys and start to play wheel of quarterbacks. I mean, we thought that we thought the Rams might be willing to do this with golf just based on who golf was as a quarterback, but no, they made the financial commitment to him and then it ended up having to pay the price to get out of it. Right. And they, and they upgraded a quarterback with a guy who had that potential to be a top eight guy and won the Super Bowl. So it's like that, especially if uh, the quarterback market does reset to where full, full guarantees are the norm, then I do th- really start to think that you could see that even though, as we may discuss later on, the quarterback market is a scary place to be. <laughs> and that's it. Maybe we'll see a lot of three-year guaranteed contracts or things like that, or the, the guarantees get pushed back to the Aaron Rodgers age or the Russell Wilson age, and that you're sort of singing for your supper a little bit more earlier on. Baker Mayfield is an example of a guy who maybe in the past, oh, we, we're going to take care of him. Oh, we're going to do the fifth-year option and see what happens, which they did. But then it's like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to punt on it. That's the sign of how much the liquidity is changing and how much the market is changing. The Browns are very happy that they did not sign Mayfield to a big extension. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that you're seeing with this is these are first-round quarterbacks, so there's not the same sort of – so one of the reasons the Kirk Cousins situation happened the way it did Mm -hmm. is because Cousins was a fourth-round pick uh, by – the first round quarterbacks make more money uh, by the standard of rookie contracts, fourth round quarterbacks. There's more of a strong incentive to pay that player, which is part of what you're seeing play out with the wide receiver market between Debo Samuel and AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. And I think there's, it's more important for them to get paid after three years from the perspective of both sides, which is what made, Washington's handling of Cousins so unusual. Well, let's talk about that, actually. Let's talk about the wide receiver market, because that was the big story this week, I think, is Debo Samuel basically requesting a trade, then tweeting out that reporters don't know what he's requesting. I'm not sure what that tweet meant, and then I think that tweet got deleted. These guys negotiating on Twitter is sort of weird. But basically, the story is that he's requested a trade. And um, there's a lot of going on in the wide receiver market right now. Like you said, Tom, these guys are non-first-round picks. 2019 was a fabulous year for non-first-round pick receivers. They are all going into the last year of their contracts. Uh, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, 
Debo Samuel, a guy who's not mentioned along with these guys, but also qualified is Deontay Johnson. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, all going into the last year of the rookie contracts, and they all want to get paid now, especially when they see like the ridiculous things that have happened in the receiver market over the last couple of months with Tyree Kill getting 30 million a year and Devontae Adams getting 28, and then even like Mike Williams getting 20 and Christian Kirk getting 18. I mean, I would think I would think that everybody I just mentioned is considered better than Christian Kirk right now. <laughs> I would say hundred percent. I mean, no diss on Christian Kirk, right. who had a very good year last year. Right. But I would think that if you were forced to rank all the receivers and not be like, well, this guy's good at these skills and this guy's good at these skills, but just like you have to rank the receivers. I would think you would put everyone that I just said, including Deontay Johnson, I would think you would put ahead of Christian Kirk. So they're all going to want more money than that $18 million a year that Christian Kirk got. Um, The Debo Samuel trade request is a little more interesting because there's some, or I mean, a lot of talk, I think, in the media that part of what's going on here is that he sees the writing on the wall that they're using him more and more as a halfback. And he knows that wide receivers have much better career length and get paid a lot more money than halfbacks. And he wants to make sure that he has a wide receivers career with wide receiver money. Right. And not, I don't know whether the issue is he doesn't want to play running back or he just wants to make sure he never gets paid like one. (laughs) <laughs> but that's an issue that's not an issue with these other guys. It also creates an issue of if San Francisco does accede to his trade request and send him somewhere, if you send Debo Samuel to a team that isn't going to use him the way San Francisco did in the second half of last year, are you getting the same quality player? I mean, he was a very good receiver in the first half of the year, like the right. amount of yards after catch he got was phenomenal before they started using him as a running back. But the reason he made all pro was what he did as a running back in the second half of the season combined with what he does as a receiver. Right. I would hate to trade for Debo and then be in this position where it's like, okay, we're going to run some jet sweeps. And you're like looking at him and like, is that okay? Is that okay if we run a jet sweep? We're going to put you in the backfield, but it's just for a flare pass. Is that okay? I would hate to be in that situation after trading for a guy that that's what makes him special. And, that's why when I look at this, I say the only place Debo Samuel really fits, I think, is in San Francisco. And they're the team that can bring him in, close the door, say, we, we won't ask you to do X, Y, Z, and we'll pay you, uh, you know, ABC. Please come back. And I think that's how it ends, not with some sort of blockbuster trade. Because you'd be trading at least a second round or possibly a first rounder based on the Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams trades to get a guy who might not want to do the things that you want him to do. I mean, I think he would fit with the Jets with San Francisco's old offensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. If they want to use him the same way, if he wants to be used the same way. Mm -hmm. Right. But uh, I think, yeah, part of the, the, what would make him the top guy among those names is the, is the specialness of, I mean, some of it is he gets lots of yards after catch, but he gets yards of catch after catch in part because the San Francisco offense is designed. San Francisco has led the league in yards after catch for four straight years. Right. They had Debo yeah. Samuel for like half of that time, like right. a, like last year and then like a couple of half seasons. Like they, they didn't lead the league in yards after catch every year just because they have Debo Samuel. So San Francisco has made Samuel in part. Yeah. 
I think in a way that, for example, Washington has not made Terry McLaurin. No, no not at all. And I, I mean, say, I would think we would all agree if Terry McLaurin went elsewhere, he probably would do better. He, he might. And then Washington would lose one of the few guys you look at and say, that's a leader. That's one of the leaders in this locker room. That's a leader in this organization you can turn to. I, I think they'd be reluctant to do that. Same for Tennessee with uh, with A.J. Brown, right, Tom? Yeah, it's uh, – the only thing you'd like to see from him is better health. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I think, again, we talked about the quarterbacks and how because of the way the CBA is set up, there really isn't a lot of good support for them to actually do holdouts once we get into real yes. mini camps and real yeah. training camp. Right. The same goes for the wide receivers. Like DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown and McClure, if they can all sit out of these April and May voluntary workouts. But when we get to real OTAs and real camp, yeah. they got to come in. It is. It's a, they, it. They. It was. I don't want to say it was snuck into the CBA, but you know what Tom was talking about earlier the the idea that your contract doesn't vest. It was put in there. I don't think a lot of guys had had their eyes on that. And now you take away that bit of leverage that really did get teams to move. You know, not being there in August got teams to move on contracts. Now players really have too great a risk to, to, to do that. Yeah. Patrick Seeley says, I see both sides. Debo knows all the running backs get injured in San Francisco. Yeah. But Kyle has unlocked Debo in part by using them as, as, as yeah. a running back. I'll point out in part, like Debo Samuel as a wide receiver was also phenomenal last year. Like, not at the top of the league in total value, but in value per play, like DVOA, like very high yards after the catch, fabulous. And I'd say running backs get injured everywhere, not just <laughs> in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, the others, the, the one, one thing I read did say that Samuel wants to establish a second tier of money that he doesn't want the 30, like the Tyree kill 30, uh -huh. but he wants more than the Mike Williams 20. Yeah, okay. It's... He wants like 25. All this is playing off uh, uh, the leverage the players have. So the reason, uh, so guys picked outside the first round normally sign deals for slightly less than guys signed uh, uh, than guys who were picked in the first round because that last year, that cheap year of the fourth of of the rookie deal is is taken into account in determining the three year average. So guys, so. Players picked in the second and third round. Uh, players picked in the after the first round. They don't make quite as much money as guys picked in the first round. So he's probably uh, so he's probably not going to make quite as much as Mike Williams did because Mike Williams was a first round pick, and the end of the first year was his option year, and uh, Debo's first year is the last year of his rookie deal. So he's not going to get the Tyreek Hill thirty. Right. He's going to get more like. 18, 18 to 20. And the other, all these guys will probably end up in the same ballpark. The other interesting question about a lot of these guys is sort of was a question about the Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams deal too, which is um, given how many quality receivers are coming into the league. Yeah. It's interesting because on one hand, given how many quality receivers are coming into the league, does it make sense to overpay for a stud receiver when there's a good chance that you can get 85, 90% of that production for much, much cheaper, like not only a much cheaper contract for Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, but you don't have to give up 
as much draft cap. You only have to give up your, that first round pick that you use on them. But the other, on the other hand, every team needs at least three starting wide receivers. Yeah. Now this is a yeah. three wide receiver league. So like, yeah, there's lots of guys coming in, but there's lots of need for them. Look at the teams right now that have just like no receivers, like Chicago <laughs> and Atlanta, like are just terrible. Right. Hey, by the way, I pulled up and I was writing something for this week. and I'm going to save it for next week. Every second and third round wide receiver since 2012. And the list is unbelievably great. So we're not even talking about first rounders. No Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. It is, and I can just start reading off, T.Y. Hilton, Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup, Alshon Jeffrey. It goes on and on. A total of 60 guys from 2012 to 2018. I didn't even put those last couple in. And 30 of those 60 have average values from pro football re- reference of 15 or higher. So right. your bust rate is like your, 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 your win rate is like 50% or better to at least get a solid, solid receiver. Now that might, that's not going to convince me on AJ Brown when, you know, I'm the Titans. I need my wide receiver one. We're in a playoff window. He's established. That's not going to convince me. I'll just get a guy in the third round, but if I'm trading or if I've got, you know, if I've got some kind of fear like that, I'm going to trade capital and I'm going to put this kind of contract in. I'm going to look to this draft class because, again, in this draft class, I think George Pickens is going to be in the second round. I think Sky Moore is going to be in the second round. Christian Watson, a lot of the guys that draft Twitter is all a flutter about and say they might be a first-round pick, they're going to be sitting there in the second round. And some of them, like you said, Aaron, 75 to 80% of the production in a year or two that you're going to get from some of these guys. Um, I also uh, I forgot what I was about to mention. Oh, yeah, Cooper Cup should be one of these guys also. But Cooper Cup, interestingly, was quoted this week saying, I'm not trying to beat anybody with my new contract, which I thought is sort of interesting. That is he not want to play the big contract game with these other guys? Doesn't he already? Uh, the Rams have a schedule. Okay. This offseason was Matt Stafford and Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. Next offseason is Cooper Cup, And I don't know what else. And Cup already had his first extension. What's that? Has he already gotten his first extension? Yeah, so that's, already- that's that's partly why he doesn't need to beat anybody with the next contract because he already beat everybody with the first with the second contract. Right, right. So that's probably part of the lack of urgency. It's also a delightful thing to say to make you sound like the good guy as you quietly have your ruthless agent behind the scenes getting everybody. Well, that's playing things right. Yeah, you want to sound like the good guy while your agent is the bad guy. Yes, right. Uh, which is what. Uh, annoys me about uh, Lamar Jackson not having an agent. He's the agent only gets three percent of the contract, mm-hmm. and uh, it really inhibits negotiations when uh, you you have to tell Lamar Jackson that Lamar Jackson isn't as good as Lamar Jackson thinks he is. That's different than telling Eric Burkhart that Kyler Murray isn't as good as Kyler Murray thinks he is. Right. I know what the thing was. I, I was going to say before there are exceptions to this rule like Stefan Diggs being a strong one. Yeah. But in general, if you look at wide receivers as a total group, top wide receivers as a total group, uh, this is true of all skill position players, but in particular wide receivers. Teams losing a top wide receiver see their offense fall by more than teams gaining a top wide receiver see their offenses rise. Right. So, I mean, if you're a team and you're saying, do I want to trade like a first and a third and a fourth and whatever for A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf, or do I want to just use my first 
on Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave and have them at a much cheaper price for the next four years. Right. You also want to take into consideration that, again, there are exceptions, but it's likely that you would get a little less on on average. You're going to get a little less out of those guys than their current team gets out of them. I feel like McLaurin is a little of an exception to that because of the Washington quarterback situation. Right. But you get, my, you get my my general drift here. Yeah, a little bit of a lose lose when you make the trade. The team that loses them lose falls off, and the team that gets them doesn't quite get what they bargained for. Right. And I think part of it is with wide receivers, how much value does a single wide receiver really? provide especially immediately i think you need to have a better idea of how you're going to structure your team around that player's specific talents mm -hmm. and so that's why the jets make sense as a debo samuel destination you may you get that you get a, a little bit of that built in uh with uh mike Mc, as it's there there uh, with mike mcdaniel right Yes, I know you wanted to say McDaniel's. No, no, it's I was only one, he's only one McDaniel. Yeah, the number of McDaniel's is only one there. There's two yeah. McDaniel's as it is in Vegas, but only one. By the way, Cooper Cup is under a contract where he is going to be uh, scheduled to make 14 million uh, this right. year, and he's also under contract through 2023 with two void years after that. So again, he's he's got a little bit more. Comfort He's making a lot more than the other guys. And yes. like Tom said, the Rams have a schedule. They will extend him again next year. Mm -hmm. That's how it is. Right. Now, it's Mike McDaniels in Miami. I was trying to pull uh, Mike LaFleur's name. Oh, Mike, you've got your Mike, you've got your Josh McDaniels, you've got your Mike McDaniels, Mike LaFleur, and you've got your Matt LaFleur and your Matt Eberflus. <laughs> no, yeah, one of the 30-something NFL, off uh, NFL offensive guru who used to be in the San Francisco it was. <laughs> uh, Patrick Seeley says, could the trend be rookie quarterbacks with high-priced wide receivers and high-priced quarterbacks with low-priced low-priced wide receivers? Well, I mean, if you want to pay anybody else on your team, <laughs> yeah. those are good combinations to have. Except for the Raiders. Except for the Raiders, who the now Rams. are giving Devontae tons of money and gave a big extension to Derek Carr. And the Rams and the Buccaneers. So there's still a lot of teams with high-priced quarterback and high-priced wide receivers. you got to get the savings somewhere, though. Yeah, yeah it's uh, and they're not spending on running back, maybe offensive law. Maybe there's being cheap. You either have to get the savings somewhere, or like defense. Tampa Bay, you have to plan to crash into a brick wall in 2024. Right. Well, it's uh, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in twenty twenty one in twenty seventeen. Uh, the salary cap that year was like one hundred seventy five million. Their cash bidding was like two hundred thirty million. Yes. So they basically scheduled a bunch of future pain and got a Super Bowl ring out of it. And right. the Bucks are living that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just get the f future pain part in a couple of years, <laughs> which I think which is a trade off is, anybody would happily take. Yes. Yeah, and that's another thing where you need owners with a lot of money beyond the value of their NFL team. The Glazers have a ton of money. Lori has plenty of money, that, and he can make that sort of commitment. Executive producer of V.I. Warshawski uh, and other great feature films. My stepmother was an alien. Uh, Jeffrey Lloyd is, is full of residuals from, from his uh, career as a producer. I'm trying to think of who the teams are that don't necessarily have a lot of money other than their the, – the Giants come to mind. Uh, Tennessee is definitely one of them. Uh, a lot of it, you're looking at old at 
owners who've owned their teams or the team's been in the family for a long time. Uh, The Bidwill family does not have a ton of money in Arizona. The Bears are another team that does not have a ton of money. I don't think Ursay in Indianapolis has a ton of money. By, he doesn't have that much money by NFL standards. Um, it probably restricts some of what the Packers can do in terms of cash flow, uh, yes, which hasn't been an issue lately. It's, But if you, with a move toward more guaranteed contracts, it may become an issue as long as the funding rule is in place. Yeah. Uh, useful title points out that Jeffrey Lurie actually won an Oscar this year. I'm not sure for what. He did the special effects on the Spider-Man movie. <laughs> no known fact. Uh, it, it, he produced the documentary Summer of Soul. Ooh, I actually saw that. Jeffrey Lurie and Questlove, the unbeatable Philly combination. I was not aware Jeffrey Lurie was involved in that. And neither was Questlove, probably. Um, let's talk about some other stories. Let's just hit some other interesting uh, headlines from the last couple of days. Patrick Mahomes saying that a different size in his receiving core will be useful. What are, what are your thoughts about this? Uh, the Chiefs needed a third option in their passing game last year. Tyreek Hill is got a lot of caught a lot of passes, uh, but they needed another wide receiver. Uh, I think they do need to change how they'll play, especially against too high. Uh, off uh, against too high defenses, they need a wide receiver who can just be an outside outside the numbers type player. Uh, maybe win 50-50 balls, and they need somebody who can play over the middle. They can't just rely on Travis Kelsey and a bunch of gadget guys. Well, yes. Juju is the second guy. Juju, yeah. yes, and he is taller. This really sounds yes. like Juju Smith Schuster is six foot one, and Marquez Valdez Gantling is six foot four. But when you think Marquez Valdez Gantling, you do not think 50 50 balls. <laughs> right. So Juju is probably the inside guy. They need an outside guy. I don't understand why they wanted Valdez Gantling unless it's just a Mikal Hardman upgrade. He's like a four good plays a month receiver and you just hope for it. He's not the sort of outside sustainer that I thought they needed last year. I think Patrick Mahomes needed something really positive to say coming out of those workouts. And what he came down with is they're tall. <laughs> and, that's, and he managed to spin that into, into something positive here. So yeah, I, I, Tom's right. They, they need more receivers. I, I don't think it's like, Oh, this is what he's been missing. Someone slightly taller who catches overthrows. Um, but, you know, it, it makes for a positive uh, uh, statement coming out of the workouts. Uh, Patrick Seeley points out that Juju and Mahomes' brother on TikTok are a bad combination. That's why I don't do TikTok. What do you I guys do think TikTok. of this rumor? Bill Houston, Debo would fit with the Chiefs, and they have draft capital and a creative mind like Reed. My feeling is if they were going to trade for Debo, they would have just kept Tyreek Hill. Yeah, they, I don't think they have the future money. Then, because then you have to satisfy him with the contract, and then you trade it away. All the guys, you say, well, you know what? The consolation prize is we can get defense. Now you can't get defense. You kind of went all the way around and came back right where you started from. And I don't think that's what their what the, what their plan is. Uh, it would help a little bit in terms of age, but yeah, marginally. Right, yeah. right, right. Justin Fields says he hopes the new coaching staff, quote, will just tailor the plays to my skill set. Well, we all do. <laughs> we all do. Um, 
<laughs> the, the problem that Justin Fields has is not whether the coaching staff will tailor the plays to my skill set, because I think they'll do a better job of that than last year's coaching staff, because it's hard to do a worse job. <laughs> it's that there are no teammates. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know, with all respect to David Montgomery, I mean, these, you know, there, there are players, you know, Daryl Mooney is a useful player and I'm, you know, Cole Komet is developing and that's all nice, but I mean, their, their receiving core is just a shattered and their defense is not have a ton of guys either right now. Like that team is in massive rebuilding mode. So I don't know how much Justin Fields, you're going to be able to judge how good he really is based on what is around him this year. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, this just feels more like puffery. It's like, I hope the new coaches are good and uh, <laughs> I enjoy playing for them. Yeah. Uh, it is an indictment of the last crew. You don't, that's a message just in case we didn't get the message before. I think he was saying a message there, but um, uh, by the way, the, the receiving core, I just got to read them out. Equinemius St. Brown, Darryl, Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, Isaiah Coulter. Yeah. Daz Newsom from UNC last year. And uh, Naimba, Naimba Webster. That's Those a good two. That's a two and two fours. That's a two, two fours. Mooney is a two. Pringle and St. Brown are fours. And we have a couple of USFL twos, I think, mixed in there at the end. And no first-round pick. So they will be tailoring a uh, wishbone offense to Justin Fields' talents. Uh, ben McAdoo said about drafting a quarterback, I'm a big swing for the fences kind of guy. Now, the first thing is Ben McAdoo is not making any of the decisions here. He's the offensive coordinator. So it doesn't matter if he wants to swing for the fences. Uh, look, at the, look at the McAdoo photo in the corner. Look at that. He looks, he's looking cool and nice, man. They just took a fan and they stuck a headset on him and said, that's Ben McAdoo. Hey, remember when Matt Rule ran that team? Remember that? It was like years and years ago. Now the offensive coordinator is the one making all the, uh, all the statements here. And uh, yeah, he, famously, he also said, oh, Sam Donald, Donald's our quarterback. And then a minute later said, oh, I really shouldn't have said that. I wasn't supposed to say that. So the, the franchise is in good hands with Ben McAdoo as their spokesperson. I mean, I guess it's a big swing for the fences to hope that guys with projections as low as Pickett and Willis really turn into big and you know really good NFL quarterbacks. I mean, that's that's a swing for the fences. That's that's a the kind of guy who hits one ninety with thirty homers kind of swing for the fences. Adam's on. Uh, I would say that. Uh, if I was to take his statement more seriously, I would say it sounds like he's trying to create leverage for the Giants to move out of number five for a team that wants a quarterback and wants and thinks the Panthers are going to take a quarterback. Yeah, for the Panthers. Uh, oh, oh, he's trying to get leverage to get somebody to trade up to five. That, it's like that's head of the Panthers, or yeah, it's or, like, or take the, or get the Panthers pick to trade down so you get ahead of the Giants the second pick, maybe. I, well, I, I the Giants picks are five and seven, and the Panthers are right between them at six. Right. Right. So if you think Carolina is taking a quarterback, then you want the Giants pick at five because they'd probably be willing to move out. Uh, I think Carolina probably does want uh, they're to they're approaching Washington levels of uh, how much of out of there can I really trust in terms of coherence and strategy? But I think they probably do really want to move out. I don't unless they love a quarterback way more than I think they should, then they probably do want to move out. Maybe 
if teams want a quarterback, they're willing to call Carolina. But if you think Carolina wants a quarterback, then you should call New York. My guess is they're not going to be able to move out, and they're going to end up taking a quarterback, and then it's probably going to be the first quarter. No, just for Detroit. No, they're going to end up with the first quarterback off the the board. Patrick Seeley asks, why did the Panthers trade for Gilmore and not sign him? Because they looked like they were in a very different place after three games of the 20. 21 season than right. they looked like after the end of the 2021 season. Yeah. It's it's kind of two dubious decisions. It's like, oh, we think we're contenders now because we beat these horrible teams at the beginning of the season. And then, oh, well, we can't keep this guy now when they had the cap space. They could have at least said, well, maybe we'll just continue on this route because he is, you know, uh, the, the Colts are, think they've got a Pro Bowl player in, in Gilmore and maybe they could have kept them under those circumstances. Uh, one more comment to comment on Jake Matthews saying, we don't look at this as a rebuilding year. I just uh, want to say that as much as we might want to laugh on it, I think this is how every player should feel. Yes. It's not a player's job to look at anything as a rebuilding year. It's a player's job to go out and play as well as they possibly can. And you don't want any player to think of anything as a rebuilding year. You want a player to think that they're in it. You want a player who sees that his team just, went seven and 10 and think they're close to the playoffs as opposed to the front office, which sees they went seven and 10. They have no cap space. Uh, They traded away their starting quarterback. Uh, They are not going to be a good team this year unless something extremely strange happens. They're the, just because of Carolina, they mean they might not be the worst team in the division, but they're not going anywhere you want to be anytime soon. Barring, of course, a Mar- Marcus Mariota turning into the Marcus Mariota we've seen flashes of in the NFL, but have never seen consistently, right. and that we yeah. haven't seen it all since 2017. I wanted to mention this comment just to mention that there is just a, a real dichotomy between how I want front offices to think yes. and how I want players yeah. to think. Right. Right. Like front offices need to know how good they are. Like the Atlanta front office needs to know that they were 31st or 30th or whatever they were in DVOA, that they were not really as good as their seven and 10 record. They have to think about what it means to have traded away Matt Ryan. Like players don't have to think about any of it. No. And shouldn't to a degree, they shouldn't be playing this meta game. They should be getting out there, hitting the guy in front. I'll still, I'll still roast Jake Matthews. (laughs) And and the useful title, the real useful title said, it isn't a rebuilding year. It's year two of the rebuilding years, the epoch or whatever. It's kind of like the pre-building year because they were not rebuilding last year in any meaningful way. This is the clean everything up so you can rebuild year for Atlanta. So technically, right. the rebuild year is next year when they take what's his name out of Ohio State with the first overall pick. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> the Atlanta says the Atlanta front office looks like the aftermath of Jonestown. Oh my God. Well, Arthur <laughs> Smith. Yes. CJ Stroud is right, is the name of yes. the yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so it's, there's lots of good players in 2023 draft. So the yes. 2023 draft is going to be good. Yeah. Um. All right, that does it for the live stream for today. Uh, thank you everybody for watching. Thank you for your comments on Twitch and YouTube. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you uh, for always listening to us on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Thank you to Mike. Thank you to Tom. Uh, splash play tomorrow at 2.30, probably more USFL and best ball talk. That's the kind of things they like to do. 
The last draft show with Mike and Derek will be next Tuesday at one. And then we will not be doing, we will not be doing a show Thursday at one next week. We will be doing a show Friday at one next week. Okay. So next week's show will be Friday instead of Thursday doing a draft round one recap with Mike and me and Derek Klassen and Benjamin Robinson from Grinding the Mock. So that will be next Friday at 1 p.m. for the round one recap. We're also not doing the thing where we stay up after midnight like we did last year. It's going to be a Friday show, Friday show next week. Until then, I will see you all later. Enjoy the last week before the draft. Thank you again, Tom and Mike. So long, everybody. Have a good weekend.